Good morning. <laughs> what? Oh, thank you. It's new. They said they liked my shirt. <laughs> it's colorful, yes. <laughs> well, listen, it's good to see all of you today. Maybe you all just look so happy and smiley because it's been Thanksgiving. I don't know if you're smiling still from the food or if you're smiling because you're back home now, away from your family. It could go either way, I know. But, man, it's good to see all of you here today. <laughs> um, we're going to get right into the Word. We're starting this new series this week called God With Us. It's an Advent series leading up to Christmas. And this Sunday, we are focusing on hope. And so the series is called God With Us. And today, it's God With Us Brings Hope. But I've kind of subtitled this message, Reviving Hope. Reviving Hope. And I don't know about you, but over the past year and a half or so, my hope has needed to be followed around by those little AED devices, you know, that shock it back to life. You know what I'm talking about? Because things get pretty hopeless pretty quickly in the times that we live in. And so every now and then it feels like I really need to shock my hope back to life. And so today, I really want us, and I really believe that God is speaking to us during this Christmas season, that he wants to revive hope in your life. He wants you to feel the surge of hopefulness rise up within you. So let's read a couple of scriptures as we get started today. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, these will hopefully all be up here on the screen for you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you. Lord, first and foremost, we thank you for your word that is your gift to us. It is your living and active voice speaking to us on a daily basis. So Lord, I just ask that you speak to us through your word today, that you encourage and uplift our hearts. And God, we ask that you revive hope inside of us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to start today with a little bit of a story about two guys named John Aldridge and Anthony Sozinski. These two guys were fishermen up in New York City area, and they sat out one day on a boat, just the two of them. And, of course, like men, they weren't wearing life jackets, right? Because why do they need those, obviously? except that they really wish they would have. And as they were going, one of the guys, Anthony, went down to the bottom part of the boat, and he was going to take a nap while his friend did all the work to get things set up. I know some of you are like, I know exactly which friend I am. You're either the one down asleep or you're the one getting everything ready, right? Don't point to your friend who's the one asleep. But Anthony went down to go to sleep for a couple of hours while his friend set everything up. And so he was up on the boat, and he was setting things up, and he turned the boat to autopilot to just keep going while he did his work. And he pulled on this big handle, and when he pulled on it, the handle broke and threw him back off of the boat. And as he came back up out of the water and began to yell, he knew it was useless to yell because the boat was on autopilot going this way, and his friend was asleep at the bottom of the boat. And so there he was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with no life jacket, 
probably hearing his wife's voice in his head, I would imagine, but stuck there in that water, not knowing what he was going to do. And after he had tried to get to a place to calm his thoughts, he had this little idea pop into his head. He was wearing these big rubber boots. And he took them off and turned them upside down and pushed them down, and it created an air pocket so that the, boat, the, the boots would float. And he put them underneath his armpits so that they were holding him afloat. And he began to just pray and think and sit and float. <laughs> and very far in the distance, as his friend awoke four hours later, four hours later, and realized that the boat was going, but his friend was not on it. He immediately called the Coast Guard, but he had no way to be able to tell where his friend was. But he saw the broken handle, and the handle meant that they had to have been at a certain depth before he would have started to pull the handle. So he had somewhat of an idea of where it could have been. And they called the Coast Guard, and he told the Coast Guard he does not have a life jacket. He does not have those things, but, and the Coast Guard let them know, him know, listen, the chances are pretty slim that we're going to find him. And so John floated, and when morning came, he had made it through the night, but he really did not know what the next hours held for him. He said he saw sharks swimming in the distance, none of them coming near him, and he just floated. And then he saw a fishing buoy, and he was able to climb onto the fishing buoy, but he did not know how long he could hold on to that and what would happen. And about an hour after being on that fishing buoy, he began to hear the sounds of the Coast Guard coming. And as they came, they saw him, they dropped down the ladder, they pulled him up to safety, and they were blown away that they had found him. And they said, John, we've been looking for you for nine hours. And he said, well, that's great. I've been looking for you for 12. But that's kind of like hope, right? Hope is kind of the whisper in your ear that says, I bet these boots will float, (laughs) right? Hope is just that little glimpse of something out of the corner of your eye that you can hold on to when the waves seem really, really really intense. Hope is like that. Sometimes hope is the first candle that you find and the power is out in the storm. Hope is a little bit like that. Hope is the courage that is given to you by someone else who has survived and lived through stinging loss. Hope is the small things. It's the large things. It's the sunshine that comes through the window after the longest, darkest night of your life. It's, it's the rainbow reflection across your face. It's that little bit of something that whispers to you, just keep going. Just keep going. It's just ever so slight, but it can be just enough to get us through. It's the fuel of faith and dreams. And hope is what the Advent season is about. Advent is, means coming or the arrival. It's the anticipation and the expectation of something coming. But it's not just a part of the Christmas season. It is what the Christmas season is about. It's what joins the past and the present and the future of a life with God all together, right? It's us knowing and having the opportunity to share in the longing of God's people waiting for a Messiah. Do we understand that they waited for a Messiah? That there were hundreds of years of silence, We can barely go five minutes 
<laughs> right? We have full access to God all the time. And yet they waited hundreds of years in silence for the coming of the Messiah. We join together with them in that remembering the anticipation of the waiting Messiah. We share in the celebration of Christ's birth. And we also then have hope as we are in the part of the waiting where we are awaiting his return. And man, don't we have anticipation and expectation for his return? And man, some days it seems like he's never getting here. And some days we have to cling to rubber boots floating to give us enough hope to get through to the next day, to continue to have the hope that Jesus is coming back. We have that hope, and we can cling to that hope. This season is often marked by busyness, but Advent is a time for us to set aside some time to focus on the story of God's love for us. This is not a season where we have to cover up and pretend that everything is okay. Man, why? We do that so much more in the holiday season, right? We feel this need to just cover up every hard thing that the year has brought us and that life has brought us and just be like, oh, it's Christmas. Listen, it's okay to say it is Christmas, and I don't know how I feel. We don't have to cover things up. This is a season about anticipating with expectation the coming of a king. It's about allowing ourselves to embrace the presence of God that we only have because he came once and he will come again so we can cling to the presence of God and we are allowed to wrestle with the difficult and hard things within his presence because we have the hope that says he is coming again. And so this season, we do not have to cover up with tinsel and lights and wrapping paper the hard things we have walked through. We can embrace them and embrace hope. You can hold on to the fishing buoy while still being hit by the waves. That's what hope is. That's what hope is. We're allowed to wrestle with it. Advent is not just a celebration about a God who comes to fix things. Because the truth is, is not everything can be fixed here. Not everything can be fixed here. And so we know that while we wish we were waiting for somebody to come and fix everything, listen, The Israelites, so many of them missed God because they were waiting for a king to come and sit on a throne and rule with an iron fist. And what they almost, what they missed was the Messiah who came to be with them. And so many times we hear, we miss who God is when we are sitting around waiting for a God to come and fix everything for us. When really what we have is a God who has come to be with us with us. He is with us in the middle of pain. He is with us in the middle of suffering. We cannot be so confused as to think that everything can be fixed on this side of heaven. It cannot, but that is why we know our hope is not in this kingdom. Our hope is in that kingdom, and so we have hope. It's been a long journey for hope. 
started with Adam and Eve, right? Walking with God, experiencing his presence, and then they messed it up for all of us, right? I used to try to get mad at Adam and Eve until I realized I'm just glad it was them and not me. Because I definitely would have messed it up too, right? They walked with God and then they messed it up. But can we see that ever since that moment, God has been working out his story of restoration and redemption in our lives. He has been working it out every single day, every single step. God has worked out his story of hope in his people. We see it in the covenant that he made with Abram that said, you are Abraham and everybody in this world will be blessed through you. The renewal of his covenant with Jacob at Bethel as he said, I will be with you until everything is accomplished. What that means is once it is accomplished, we will be with him. Until then, he is here with us. Just like us, the people of Israel, they suffered and they had plenty. There was prosperity and there was recession. There was feast and then there was literal famine. There was pleasure and there was pain. And there was a deep longing for God to fulfill his covenant and bring a Messiah. This deep hope, this deepest hope is what got them through. The many times that they were overtaken, when the prophets would tell them, the good news, God's with you. The bad news, you're going to get overtaken. The good news, God's never going to leave you. The bad news, things are about to get bad. They clung to the hope of a coming Messiah. It's what carried them through. Then there is a prophet Isaiah. The Christmas prophet is what I always think of him as, right? Because we quote Isaiah so much at Christmas. Because his words of hope laid out the prophecy for the coming of our Savior. It pointed to the Christmas story. He told the Christmas story 700 years before it came to pass in detail. Isaiah was a well-known prophet. Let me tell you something. He was not the smiling, happy prophet. He was well-known, but that does not mean he was well-liked. He had some rough news to tell people about being overtaken and things not going to be good, but he also gave them hope. And I want to listen to Isaiah's words today as he begins to point to the coming of a Savior. Now, what we have to know is Isaiah had no timeline on this. These things he prophesied about, he did not get to see. He was not a part of this story 700 years later. But yet his words spoke hope that would last through hundreds of years of silence from God until the Messiah came. So let's listen to what some of his words said. We read this verse at the beginning, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Listen to what he is saying. The the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He was saying, your Messiah is coming. And he is coming to be with you. He's coming to be with you. Later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. 
Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Later in that chapter, in verses 6 and 7, he said, For to us, to us, a child is born. To us is given, a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah may not have been alive to see this, but his words brought hope to a people that carried them through hundreds of years of silence until one day an angel appeared to a man named Zechariah. Listen to me, I'm pointing out to you a journey that hope has taken. There are people all along who have stoked the fire of hope in our faith to make sure that it got through from one generation to the next. If we become so overwhelmed with hopelessness that that we do not stoke the fire of a coming Messiah. It will die out before it gets to the next generation. We cannot let the hope of a coming king die out before the king gets here. And so there has been a journey of hope from Adam and Eve down to Abraham, down to Jacob, down to Isaiah and the prophets that was enough to sustain them through silence. And yet we are a generation that will never experience the silence of God, but yet we lack the hope to get us through. You have to see the journey of hope and you have to continue to stoke its fire. By the time it got to Zechariah, a priest who had devoted himself to serving God in the silence. Man, that's hard to do. He had devoted himself to being a priest, to pointing people, God's people, to him, even when there had not been a word from God. And there he is, and an angel appears to him. And he is old, very old, never able to have a child. And the angel appears to him and told him that he would have a son who will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, who will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah got this message from God. And then God shut his mouth, <laughs> right? God was like, I am sending you a son who will make way for the Lord. And then God shut his mouth. So he couldn't tell anyone about it until his son was born. Until his son was born. Can you imagine the hope that was stirred up at seeing Zechariah and Elizabeth have this child? Can you imagine the hope that was stirred up by the promise beginning to be fulfilled, that God was beginning to do and move the way that he said he would do? 
His silence was obviously an inconvenience. But listen, God was coming. He was coming. Zechariah had held on to hope. They had held on to hope, and now it was coming. They had sustained themselves in hoping in God, and now he was coming. Here he was on the way. Maybe some of you are thinking, that's really nice for all of them. But what about us? What about me? They weren't fighting cancer. Their spouse didn't leave them. They didn't lose a job and have no money, not even able to buy a Christmas present. They didn't lose their loved one. They didn't suffer through what I've suffered through. It's great for them thousands of years ago. But what about me today? How do I have hope today? But listen, no matter what season of darkness and struggle and pain that you are in, with everything within me, I tell you, do not abandon hope. Do not abandon hope. It may be small, but remember, Hope is the whisper of rubber boots. Hope is the glimpse of a shipping buoy. Hope is the little bit of light. Hope is the dollar in your checking account when your direct deposit hits and you don't get hit with the overdraft charge. Listen, hope can be small. It can be big, but hope is there. Do not abandon it. Do not leave it. It is there. Don't abandon it. They did not lose their hope. And hope is alive because God loves us. But sometimes we do need that little device to shock our hope back into existence. And and you, listen, I read this message and began to pray through it and talk through it. And, you know, Pastor Jeremy and I sat down and kind of talked about the series coming up and hope was my Sunday. And I thought, really? Really? I'm kind of lacking in that <laughs> lately. <laughs> Haven't been feeling super hopeful <laughs> lately. I don't really know how I'm supposed to preach about that. And then the more I began to study it and realize, I thought, oh, gosh, you know what? That's okay. I don't really have to feel hopeful. I just have to hold on to hope, right? And James said it so perfectly today when he was talking about his little kid, right? But his little kid, come here. Right? Because how many of you have tried to take your child somewhere? Right? Just, just try to make me go with you. Nope, I'm not going. I'm not going. Right? 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 And then their hand goes weak, right? And then you have to manhandle them, right? So what do we usually do? We grab them by the wrist, right? Because hands are slippery. But wrists, I can get my wrist, I can get my arm all the way around your wrist. We are going where I want to go because I am the boss, right? So listen, sometimes it can feel like we don't want hope. And it feels like it's slippery and it's hard to hold on to. But we gotta grab a hold of it and we gotta drag it with us into this dark place. Because Otherwise, we can feel real lost. And so we need to drag it with us. We need to cling to it. We need to hold on to it. So how do we do that? There's three little things I want to give you today to just really encourage you of how to hold on to hope. The first is that hope is based in God's word. That's right. It always comes back to reading the Bible, dadgummit. 
maybe if I could get um, James Earl Jones, who's reading, who is the voice of Mephasa, right? If I could get him to read all the things that God says um, in an audio book, in the audio version of the Bible, I think that would be super helpful, right? Wherever anything the light touches, right? I need, I need that a little bit, right? But listen, God's word is part of how we root ourselves into some hope. Let me tell you something. You got to look for the finger hold, right? You got to look for something to hold on to. I have this former student named Ryan Smith who was this little squirrely kid for such a long time. And then he started climbing rocks. His mother is very stressed about it. But he climbs rocks, right? And so he'll post these pictures of him hanging upside down on a rock by just his fingertips. And everything within me is like, why would you do that? Why? At any point would you think, I will hang upside down on a rock, right? But he has to search for these finger holds to grab hold of, right? So when it comes to walking through darkness, when it comes to having hope and holding on to it, we got to find some things to kind of grab on to. we got to find some things we can sink our fingers into and latch a hold of so that we don't lose our grip on it. And the word of God is one of those things. It is part of God being with us. God is with us. He is with us through his word that he speaks to us. These are his promises to his people long ago and to us today. These are his words. They are a piece of him. So I want you to listen to Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Let me tell you something. You cannot get away from God. Our guard, God, went to the depths of hell to take back the keys to death, hell, and a grave. There is no dark place you can go that is darker than the darkest places that he went to fight for your salvation. So you cannot find a dark corner to hide in. Your sin cannot dig you into a hole deeper than he can get you out of. There is no place you can go that God does not go with you. It says he holds fast to you. And some of you need to know today that God has left the 99 to pursue you and find you. And he is coming for you. He is here with us and he does not leave your side. So no matter where in hell you have made your bed, he is there to jerk you out of it. And that is the God that we serve. And we need to know and cling. His word gives us some traction. His word gives us something to grip a hold of. When we have made our bed in hell, we can grab a hold of his word and climb out because he is our hope. And we need to know that. And let me tell you, sometimes we don't make our bed in hell. Sometimes life comes along and it kicks us there and it knocks us there. And we look around disoriented. How did I end up here? How did I end up in this place? I don't even know where I am. And yet God says... 
There is nowhere you can go that I am not with you. There is no darkness that my light cannot penetrate. There is nowhere you go that I am not with you. His word will give you traction. Cling to his word. The second way we can rekindle hope is to put our focus on God's character. Who he is. Who he is, right? Now, the world we live in shows us really quickly who people are. Because there's a lens and a microscope on everyone. And we see really quickly who people are. But through Jesus in the New Testament, we see a man who perfectly, his actions and his words, line up with who he is. And so we must cling to God's character because even when every other person in your life has betrayed you or destroyed you or let you down, he has not. Do not hold the character of God hostage to what other people's character has done to you. That was not God. God's character is infallible. It is no blemishes to it. He will never forsake you. He will never turn against you. Cling to his character. The Jesus that we know looked up in a tree and saw Zacchaeus, a thief. A person who stole from God's people. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, come down. And then Jesus sat with him. That's the character of God. The character of God says, I love you and I sit with you even when you are in a not good place. I love you and I sit with you even when you push me away. I love you and I sit with you even when you are stirring yourself up in the wrong things. Our God that we know his character is of the man who found the blind man and he took his spit and put it in his eyes. Now that seems so gross. But then I think about the number of times as a parent, right, that I have. I won't do that to James. He wasn't looking, but that would have been funny, right? (laughs) How many times, right, to clean my child in that instant have used my spit because it's personal, right? It's my kid, right? My kid. And Jesus, his character says, each and every one of you are my children, and I will heal you, and I will restore you, and I will clean you with myself because you are part of me, and there is nothing that separates from me from you. I am not repulsed by your grossness. I am not put off by your brokenness. You are part of me, and so I use myself to cleanse you. I use myself to take care of you. This is the character of God who we cling to. This is who God is. He is the one who sits with us and he is the one who cleans us. And the woman with the issue of blood who fought her way to Jesus and touched him and he said, who has touched me? Can you imagine the fear that must have struck her as she started to say, it's me. And yet, In that moment, he connected with her in a group of hundreds of people. He looked deep into her eyes, and he changed her life. 
That is us, ladies and gentlemen. We are broken. We need healing. We are lost. And we serve a Savior who sits with us, who cleanses us, who connects with us right where we are, even in the midst of the world around us. That is the character of the God we serve. And we need to know that that's who he is. He is victory over death. He is the one who fulfills our hopes. He is the one who is coming to restore restore his kingdom. And all the while we wait for him to come, he connects with us and does not leave us. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the character of God. Because we live in a world where no one sticks with people for the long haul. People don't stick with things for the long haul. I mean, it is normal. It is acceptable to not stick with things. If things aren't going your way and aren't working out for you, you just move on to something else. Thank God that is not the character of the God we serve. He sticks with us even when we are unstickable. He is with us. That is the character of God. So listen, as we fight for hope, we cling to his word and we cling to his character that says, I'm clinging to you because I know you will never let me go. You won't do it. The third way we can find hope is to to choose hope by focusing on God's faithfulness. How has God worked in my life? Can you think of a time when you knew it had to be God? I can. Right? When you knew it had to be God and only God, right? Usually we don't even realize those things till we look back on them, right? <laughs> and then we think, oh, that was God. I was too busy in the minute dealing with it. And now that I'm out of it, I realize that was God who was handling business, right? We see God's faithfulness. All throughout the Old Testament, they would go through a challenge and they would build an altar to remind them and the passing people and coming generations that this is the place where the God delivered us, right? So let me tell you something. There will come a day where we won't meet here in this little building, in this gym anymore, but maybe we need to build an altar to remember that this is the sign that God brought us out of something so we could be ready for the next thing. This is God. He brought us out through it. And so we have to look and remind ourselves of the things that have happened to have courage for the things we are coming to. We can trust in God's faithfulness. And I know, what does that have to do with hope? What do memories have to do with hope right now? But listen, gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation brings hope. Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations means to lament. I don't know if that was the best name to pick for the book if your hope was that we would read it, right? It's like Lamentations, a book of sorrow. Mm, Thanks, I think I'll skip the Psalms. Appreciate it, right? It's a whole book of lamenting, right? Seems like kind of a boring book to read. We do a lot of it ourselves, though, right? So let's look at Lamentations, chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say to myself. 
The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch that at the beginning? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Listen, sometimes we have to call something to mind so that we can have hope, right? When you're having a child and when you're on your second one, it's a little bit easier, right? Because you know you didn't die the first time, right? When Leo turned three, because whoever said terrible twos had not had a three-year-old yet. When Leo turned three, I thought, well, I made it through once. Chances are I'll make it through again, right? In big things and in little things. Yet I call to mind so that I may have hope. So listen, when you are in a dark time, remember, yet I call to mind so that I will have hope. And what does it say right here? I say to myself, because I can say to you, but until you say to you, it does not matter. That, I mean, that's the truest thing that there is. I can tell you all day long. I can stand there and say, this is fresh water, drink it. This is fresh water, drink it. But until you say, I think that's fresh water and I'll drink it, you will not drink it. And let me tell you, we have all been guilty of pouring fresh water down people's throats, right? Drink the water! Maybe that was just me yelling at my child to drink his water, right? But it says, I tell myself, the Lord is my portion, You have got to put your fingers into the faithfulness of God. You have got to latch a hold of his faithfulness. And you have got to say to yourself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my hope. The Lord is my savior. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I cling to your faithfulness, oh God. Hope sparks like a fire. It does. Man, when one person is full of hope, right, we can all be full of hope, right? I see this even in, like, little kids' sports teams. One kid will be like, oh, my gosh, we played this team before. We lost so bad. We're going to lose, guys. We're going to lose, right? And then one kid's like, what? We're better than we were then. We totally got this, right? And then they're like, well, you're right. Dude, you scored, like, three goals last week. You're going to do it again. You're right. I am going to do it right? And then hope sparks. Yeah. And then it goes. Hope sparks like a fire. If we can spark it, man, it can ignite to fire. It spreads and it flows like water. Hope is like a living thing. Man, it moves and it grows. You think about this. When somebody else is hopeful about something, you can be hopeful about it. If you don't know what that means, I don't know if you work if you work at a job, but that's the way it works, right? Because we can be like, Christmas break is never coming. Maybe this is just the teachers, but Christmas break is never coming, right? And then comes somebody down the hallway like, I made a paper chain, y'all, 14 days. And you're like, 14 days, all right? I can make it. That hope sparks and it flows and it's contagious. But here's the thing about a living thing is it can also dwindle and wane, and it can even die. And so we have to nurture it. And I don't know about you and where you are today, but I think we could all use 
a good dose of hope sparking inside of us. I think we could all use a shock to the hope in our system. I think we all need that going in to this Christmas season. We need some hope. We need it to catch and we need it to multiply. So I, we're going to really quickly, Brandon, maybe just, we can just whoever. But we were singing that song, You Know My Name. <clears throat> and I thought that is a song of hope we sing over ourselves, isn't it? You know my name. There's no fire that can burn me, no battle that can turn me, because you know my name. And let me tell you something, we need hope to spark inside of us. And for hope to spark, it has to be nurtured. It has to be nurtured, right? How many of you start fires? Not me, but some of you do, I know. People who do things in the outdoors, I don't. I spark the light on my oven. That's about as much fire as I'm making, right? But when you spark a people who really know how to do a campfire, don't you love those people? They just really know how to do things like that. Because you'll be out there like just kicking leaves and stacking sticks and nothing has happened. And then they come over and they put that log in just the right spot. And it's like, whoosh. And you're like, I've been out here doing this for like an hour and I couldn't get it to work. And you come and move one stick and big flame, right? I'm thankful for people who know how to start a fire. I'm thankful for people who know how to tend the fire. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that I don't have to tend the fire of hope in my life alone. I'm thankful that other people can come alongside of me. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the people in the Old Testament didn't give up when God was silent, but they sustained their hope so that that hope could carry through to us today. And so we have to nurture it and we have to embrace the word of God. God, your word is true. Your promises are for me. We have to embrace the character of God. God, you connect with me. You love me. You sit with me. We have to embrace the faithfulness of God. What you did once, you will do again. And we nurture and fan into flame that hope. So I want you to stand with me today. God wants to revive some hope in our lives today he really does he really wants you to be hopeful gosh he's worked so hard and done so many awesome things for us we can hold on to hope today Romans 5 13 is my prayer for you today and as I read this verse I want you to close your eyes If you can and you want to, I would love for you to lift your hands. Because we want to receive this prayer in our hearts. Because let me tell you something, folks. If you will be full of hope, you will rub off on the person next to you. You will rub off on your family. You will rub off on your friends if you will be full of hope. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the hope of God fill you with joy and peace and you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. 